Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, in Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland, the school board approved LGBTQ inclusive text approved for instructional use. Books with titles like Pride Puppy, Uncle Bobby's Wedding, Born Ready, The True Story of a Boy Named Penelope, Rainbow Revolutionaries, 50 LGBTQ plus people who made history are just a few of the approved book titles. Several parents with religious backgrounds came together to sue the school board to restore their right to opt their children out of instruction that is inconsistent with their faith. However, a U.S. District Court judge denied their request for a preliminary injunction on August 24th. The ruling on the injunction does not mean that the lawsuit stops. The court still needs to hear the full case and issue a final decision. Here to discuss the ongoing storybook mandate case I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Eric Baxter. He is the Vice President and Senior Counsel at the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty and the attorney representing the plaintiffs in the case. Eric, welcome and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Can you talk a little bit about the background of the lawsuit? Certainly. You know, Montgomery County, Maryland is the largest county in Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. It has long had a wonderful religious diversity policy that allows students to opt out of any instruction that would violate their religious beliefs. That's reflective of the very diverse nature of the county. We have People from diverse faiths, you know, immigrants from many different countries. It's a wonderful melting pot in Montgomery County. And the school district has traditionally respected that by allowing opt-outs. Maryland law itself also requires opt-outs from any instruction on family life and human sexuality. Last fall, the school board, in an effort on what it describes as to improve inclusivity, adopted a series of books And our lawsuit particularly targets those geared at students in pre-K through fifth grade, books that all push an ideology on gender and sexuality 
that encourages kids to consider their sexuality, their gender identity, their pronouns, to embrace gender transitioning, and to think about childhood romances. One of the books invites teachers to discuss with kids what it means when you like like versus just liking someone, what it means when your heart goes thumpity thump when you look at someone on the playground. And, you know, this, needless to say, has created quite a controversy in the county. Why do you think the school board went this far? I think one book asked three and four-year-olds to search for images from a list that includes intersex flag, drag queen, underwear, leather, and the name of a celebrated LGBTQ activist and sex worker. I mean, for three and four-year-olds? Yeah, it's totally age inappropriate. When the books were first announced in the fall, the school board's own principals, basically the union of elementary school principals in Montgomery County, wrote a letter to the school board saying these books are totally inappropriate. They're age inappropriate. They're dismissive of students' religious beliefs. They encourage students to respond to students' concerns with comments that are shaming to students. The principal said, you know, our teachers are not comfortable talking with children, and it's inappropriate to be talking to children about playground romances, regardless of sexual orientation. And so when you have even the principals in the school opposing what the school board is doing, it does raise the question, what is the school board thinking? And, you know, they say they're doing this in the name of inclusivity, but lots of counties in Maryland promote inclusivity, teaching children how to be kind and respectful to each other without pushing kind of an extreme ideology on gender and sexuality. If even the elementary school principals are worried, why didn't the school board back down? I mean, it's a great question. You know, normally school board meetings are a pretty sleepy affair. You don't see a lot of meetings where there are lots of parents getting involved. Some of these meetings over the summer have had over a thousand parents attending, dozens of parents lining up to give statements, students standing up to protest. We've even had teachers reaching out. Many of the teachers, unfortunately, are afraid to speak out because they're afraid about losing their jobs. But a lot of teachers also opposing this curriculum. So it's really a mystery why the school board won't back down. There seems to be someone who has the ear of the school board that's really pushing to have these books into the curriculum. The superintendent is claiming this is necessary for every child to feel safe in Montgomery County. But really all it does when you're pushing this kind of conformity on students, it really just creates more animosity. Students who feel like they're being pressured to believe things that don't make sense to them, that violate their religious beliefs they're more likely to react adversely than if they're given an opportunity, just as our parents are asking, just to leave the classroom when some of these things are being taught. From that standpoint, as I understand it, this is sort of interestingly unifying the religious groups. So you have Muslims, Christians, and Jews, all three objecting to this kind of radical effort aimed at kids who are K through you know, sixth grade, let's say. Yeah, it's really been fascinating to watch. I mean, Montgomery County has one of the largest populations of Muslims in the United States. There's also a large concentration of, in particular, Ethiopian Orthodox and other Ethiopian Christians. And they've really been leading out on these issues, standing up and saying, wait, we came here for greater religious freedom. In the name of inclusivity, you're actually excluding Many students who just disagree with these teachings and are not trying to take them out of the school even, but are simply asking to like step out of the classroom. But it really has united people across different faith groups. Why do you think Judge Deborah Boardman turned down asking for an injunction? 
Well, I will give the judge credit for being very well prepared. She's very thorough, careful, thoughtful, but she really got stuck in a bunch of case law that's out of date and doesn't really address the realities of the situation. So the early case on this issue came from the Supreme Court. It's a case called Wisconsin versus Yoder that involved the Amish who wanted to withdraw their children from the public schools beginning in the ninth grade. Wisconsin law required them to attend through the 10th grade, and there were criminal penalties for withdrawing your children early. The Amish sued, and the Supreme Court said, yes, the Amish view may not be the same view you know, of education, may not be the same view as other Americans, but they have a system where children are educated, they become productive citizens, and this is essential to the preservation of their religious values and communities. So the parents absolutely have the right to opt their children out of high school when it becomes inconsistent with their religious beliefs. So that's kind of the core case, which should speak to the fact that we're asking for much less. The conflict is much smaller. We're saying just let our children opt out from one story hour. And so that Supreme Court Yoder decision should really win the day here. Unfortunately, throughout the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s, courts across the country kind of sidelined the Yoder decision whenever parents brought challenges to curriculum in the schools. Now, a lot of those challenges were efforts to really remove curriculum from the schools, not just get an opt-out. And so in a lot of those cases, the court said, well, once you put your kids in the school, you really don't have a direct say in what curriculum is used. That's an issue for the ballot box. Go and vote out the school board if you don't like it. And there's a fair point there, but at some point when curriculum violates an individual student's religious beliefs, the right to opt out is sacrosanct and really is essential to preserve parents' rights to be the primary decider of how and when to teach their children about these sensitive issues. And so really the judge relied on this line of cases from that 30-year period, most of which rejected parents' claims and said, well, I don't really see any burden on religion here because you're just being exposed to ideas that you don't like and your parents can continue to teach you at home and so forth. But that's all just poor analysis when you think about you're really forcing a child to sit through something that their parents for religious reasons would otherwise not allow them to do. And parents all the time put restrictions on their children for religious and other reasons. They say, you know, you're not old enough to read this book or to watch that movie. But the schools are basically saying here, like, well, as a condition of using public schools, you have to give up that right to control those things if you want to come to public schools. So that's highly problematic, especially for parents who can't afford to use private schools, don't have the ability to homeschool their children. Public schools are really their only option. And attending school shouldn't come at the cost of giving up your religious beliefs. When I looked at her opinion, I mean, part of it's just incoherent. I mean, she says, with or without an opt-out right, the parents remain free to pursue their sacred obligations to instruct their children in their faiths, even if their children's exposure to religiously offensive ideas makes the parents' effort less likely to succeed. That does not amount to a government-imposed burden on their religious exercise. I mean, if you just read that, you think this has no relationship to the real world. Yeah, it certainly suggests a level of religious illiteracy that if you think that the parents' role is just like, oh, I checked the box, I told my kids what I think about religion and about their obligations to God and so forth, that's just totally unrealistic. You know, parents have a deep commitment to do everything they can to 
help their children be formed in the faith, to develop character, to learn who they are as an individual, what it means to be a sexual being, and how to use that in ways that are appropriate, both for the creation of families, the perpetuation of the human race, and all those things. Those are deeply religious issues. Parents feel deep commitment. You know, there's also serious consequences when children become confused on those issues, consequences that parents and family members bear, not school teachers or administrators. And so... This is much more than just saying, like, oh, I told my kids what I think. You know, this is about forming your children's character and their faith. And that takes a sustained, concentrated effort, including controlling the information that comes into your children, especially at such a young and formative age. Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path. And now you can own a piece of that history. I'm thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one-ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And this all becomes sort of a slippery slope of the government having absolute control over your child. In both Washington State and California, Washington State's passed a law, California's about to pass a law, that basically says, if your parent does not totally support whatever gender you decide you are this week, the state can intervene and take your child away. It is startling. We've watched some of those cases and are looking at some of those laws that are being passed. But that is startlingly the approach that the school board is taking here. Their position is that once your child passes through the schoolhouse doors, you have no right. It's a trust us for the experts. I mean, they could show anything to your child and still come to you and say, like, well, I'm sorry, you can go homeschool them if you don't like what we're doing. And that's really an imbalance of power 
no one elected school boards to take over the formation of their children's character, their religious education. And the school board has lost some perspective about their role to kind of meet the needs of the community and assist parents without taking over their role. Well, and this is exactly the fight that Governor Youngkin has been in in Virginia, where he has really been very aggressive in taking on the Loudoun County School Board and the Fairfax County School Board over precisely these kind of issues of whether parents have a legitimate role or whether they basically give up their child to the school. And of course, when you have the elementary school principals saying that this is a really bad idea, you have to wonder why the school board thinks it knows more. So even if they're making the argument, gee, our professionals can be trusted, the professionals are saying, we don't want to do this. Then they've made arguments like, well, we just can't handle the number of opt-outs. It's like, well, that should be a signal to you that maybe you're getting ahead of your constituents. And you're here to serve the community. If the community is objecting to the point that over a thousand people are showing up to school board meetings where you usually get a, a couple of people on a smattering of issues, that should tell you that you're not really fulfilling your role as an elected official. And you're instead trying to push on families and individuals an ideology that's really inconsistent with the community standard. Let me ask just for a second before we get to the appeals process. Describe the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. So we're a nonprofit law firm. Our work is to litigate in the courts, but we do it with the support of donors so that we can represent our clients for free. We represent people of all faiths. We're one of the few truly ecumenical organizations in that respect that we represent everyone from A to Z. We've literally represented Anglicans and Zoroastrians and most faith groups in between. And we do it out of a desire to do two things. One, first to uphold the principles of the First Amendment, and second, to recognize the inherent dignity in every human being and their right to worship as they see fit. So I like to say we tick off people on the left and the right. Some of our cases are unappreciated on the left, some are unappreciated on the right. But we really strive to uphold the right of every individual, regardless of their political persuasion or mistakes they've made. We represent prisoners to allow them to exercise their religion freely. And in part because we also believe just the good that religion does in the lives of individuals and in our society. We sometimes forget how influential religion has been throughout our history and in our current culture and legal structure. And so we want to preserve that for the future. In this particular case, you have appealed the decision to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. What do you think happens now? So we are literally waiting on pins and needles. I mean, the briefing was completed a week ago. The Fourth Circuit traditionally responds pretty quickly to these types of applications. And so we're expecting a decision sometime today or you know, hopefully no later than the end of this week on whether the parents will be protected while the litigation plays out. As you mentioned in the opening, this is really just about, hey, let's maintain the status quo. All last year, the school allowed opt-outs. It was only on March 23rd of this year that the school suddenly said, oh, we're no longer going to notify parents when these books are read. We're no longer going to honor opt-out requests. They actually continue to allow them through the end of the school year, but they repeatedly told parents who asked, like, okay, we'll give it to you this year, but not next year. And then this year, there's been a total ban, no notice. Some of our parents have talked to the teachers, and teachers have said, I'm not sure I can talk to you about this even. And so we've asked the court, hey, while this litigation is pending, protect us. 
on a temporary basis so that you have time to fully consider these issues without depriving some of these children of their innocence and overriding the parents' free exercise rights. What's your guess about when you would actually go to trial on the substance of the issue? Well, the way the judge ruled, she said basically there's no religious burden by being forced to submit your children to this. And so the school board have said that once we get back down, they're going to move to dismiss. If she's consistent in her ruling, she would just dismiss anyway and we'd be back. So it's really the appeal process that has to play out. I don't anticipate we'll go to trial for a while. Besides this emergency proceeding, the Fourth Circuit where we are has said that it wants to brief this case by December, which would suggest that they would give a final ruling on it within a year from then. So maybe we'd be looking at like January 2025 before we had a final ruling from the Court of Appeals. It's possible that court could then say we'll go back and have a trial but I think it's likely we would then appeal the full merits if we lost to the Supreme Court or if we win, then hopefully the school board would live with that ruling. When you look at the nationwide problem, in the long run, does there need to be sort of a civil rights federal law that says the parents do have rights to know what's happening to their children? Well, you know, we would certainly welcome that. We would certainly welcome a ruling from the Supreme Court kind of saying that the Yoder decision I mentioned earlier is still good law and that it applies in this context. I think it's also going to be important for parents to continue to pay more attention to what's going on in their schools. And I think one good thing about this lawsuit, and really maybe this came from the COVID experience, a lot of parents were exposed to what was being taught to their children. And there's been an impetus to be more involved. I think we're seeing generally across the nation more parents being aware of what's going on in the schools. And I think that's, aside from the lawsuit, that's also a really important step because In some of these schools, it's not just a storybook here or there. They're trying to integrate this material into every classroom and trying to make it very difficult to opt out. Even if you've opt out of it here or there, you're going to get it somewhere else. And so the larger political movement to align what schools are doing with what parents want is, in my opinion, very important. I think this is a really important thing. Let me say, first of all, I think it's very important what you do and what the Beckett Fund does. There are so many cases around the country now where the government basically takes religion head on and limits our freedom despite the First Amendment, that having something like the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is really, really important in protecting our freedoms and in exposing the scale of the government assault on freedom of religion. And I think what you're doing is really important for the country. Well, thank you. And we're certainly appreciative of We get letters and emails from people around the country who appreciate this case, and we're very appreciative of the support, the prayers, donors who make this possible, and the clients who have the courage to stand up. You know, it's very difficult for our clients who are often suing their kids' schools. You know, I've brought cases against the military, lots of cases against the federal government. It's very hard for people to sue the government because there can be really severe consequences. And the power of one of the most powerful entities on earth, the United States government and its agencies, And so we're grateful that there are people who are willing to stand up on these issues. And just for example, to build on that a little bit, a thousand parents at a school board meeting, it's really hard for many of them to step up and be part of the lawsuit. So finding parents who actually want to challenge it, go to court. And so we're very appreciative of those who have courage to continue standing up on these issues, so letting their voices be heard. And with civic dignity, working to advance these issues to protect children and parents. 
That's terrific. Eric, I want to thank you for joining me. We will be closely watching the next steps in the Pride Storybook case in Montgomery County. And I want to personally thank you for continuing to fight for religious freedom for all of us here in the United States. Well, it's our pleasure, and thank you for having us on the show. Thank you to my guest, Eric Baxter. You can learn more about the Pride Storybook case on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.